Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the podcast. As always, I'm your host Tudor, and thank you for joining me each Wednesday to explore the many facets that define the human experience. Two episodes ago, we discussed a philosophical dilemma called the Ship of Theseus. To summarize, the main point of the thought experiment was that many objects that replace all their parts gradually over time are often still considered the same as the original due to practicality, a desire to maintain continuity, or simply the limitations of long-term memory that most people have. A point I raised then was that this dilemma can also apply to individuals, as people change every physical part of their body in seven years. This happens even after one has reached adulthood and has an obvious effect on our understanding of what a person means. After all, can we claim to be the same person we were 10 years ago? Again, for practical and bureaucratic purposes, this is the case, because imagine the nightmare of not just reissuing a person's identity card, but issuing a completely new one for the you that has changed over the last years. A change in the photo and perhaps address is already a huge hassle from both the state and the individual, and adding any extra steps would just increase the bureaucratic apparatus unnecessarily. So that is the situation for the physical changes in a person. But what about the psychological and mental ones? Let me show a very relatable example with regards to this. Many people my age have had the luck of being amongst the first generations that could access the internet in their teenage years. With this came the thrill of discovering a completely new world, but also the perils of a lack of self-censorship. What do I mean by that? Well, before Facebook became the first global social media platform, there were a smattering of social media sites across the internet. I say sites since smartphones were either not invented yet or still an expensive novelty, not widely available to teenagers so apps weren't yet a thing. In any case, these sites were amazing to the average teenager. An opportunity to express yourself freely in a space not controlled by your parents, but which you could show to your friends? It was a hard offer to refuse. But since there wasn't any clear netiquette put in place, and teenagers always think their current mood and thoughts are the deepest things anyone has ever conjured, there were a lot of profile pages with angsty rants four deep quotes and anarchical musings paired with the moodiest music imaginable. In those conditions, you can imagine the same people years later when they stumble upon their old social profiles, shaking their head in disappointment at the actions and attitudes of their former selves and go to settings to delete the profile from the website. That is all well and good, but what if you couldn't do that? Let's say you had a rough time in school, you're bullied constantly, and your home life wasn't much better either. One day, you lashed out on your aggressors in an nasty way, and your story gets published in the local news outlet and on their website. While this might impact you in the moment, for obvious reasons, you hope that it won't have long-term repercussions. After all, you've learned in the meantime to better control your emotions, not respond to violence with violence, and the consequences of your actions. In other words, you've grown from your experiences and have changed as a person. But say that later down the road, you reach college and you try to apply for a part-time job to help finance your education. There is nothing stopping your would-be employer from searching your name on the internet 
and finding in the archive of that local news outlet the story of how you beat up your bullies. They might be afraid upon reading this that you would become violent with customers if they acted mean or in a demeaning manner towards you, which a lot of customers do, depending on the job. As such, they would reject your application, of course, never stating the true reason for doing this, but leaving you out of a job regardless. In essence, you have been punished for the actions of your past self, despite the fact you have changed significantly since then. In this case, you can't simply delete the news article, since it belongs to the news company, so you are stuck with a metaphorical cannonball to your leg, hindering you in any future prospects. In a similar vein, people in the public eye often find that as time passes, they have a more and more difficult time in being able to voice their opinions on the subject without being figuratively burned on the stake by the public for daring to voice an opinion that conflicts with something they said many years prior. Again, it is as if people want to judge others based on their whole historical opinions and actions without realizing any single human inevitably changes over their lifetime and might end up having different or even contradicting opinions, values and judgments than their younger self. In my opinion, this is the wrong stance to take and I think people in general, not just celebrities, should be allowed to change their opinions and not be beholden to their past comments just like we find it normal for adults to not hold the same opinions they had during their teenage years. After all, it takes maturity and wisdom to realize an opinion you held close to your heart is in fact wrong when exposed to facts and actions that contradict it. The default behavior would be to hold on even tighter to your opinion and disregard any contradicting information as the part of the phenomenon we discussed in another episode as cognitive dissonance. This all forms the framework that is called the right to erasure. In essence, one should have the right to be judged on their present situation and actions without being stigmatized for their past ones. What we have discussed until now, while useful, doesn't constitute a legal requirement, but more of a wishful thinking. Fortunately, this all changed in 2018 with the introduction of GDPR, or the General Data Protection Regulation Act, in the European Union. This legislation has as an aim to give more power to consumers with regards to what and how their data is collected, registered and stored by online companies. One of the articles of this law is called Right to Erasure, also called the Right to be Forgotten. Based on this, an individual can send a request to a search engine, such as Google, to ask that all search results relating to an event in their past to be erased. After the request is received, it is up to the search engine provider to weigh on if the right to privacy of the individual trumps the public's right to know. Of course, the analysis is done also on a result-by-result basis, so for example, a site that has a pertinent remark on the incident could be allowed to still exist as a link, whilst a sensationalist attack piece meant clearly to just agitate would be removed. This article, whilst providing the exact solution the college student burdened with the mistake of his school years was looking for, does however create plenty of problems as well. After all, why should the search engine hold a decision on which search results are relevant and which can be erased? And at what point does erasure turn from preserving one's right to privacy to censorship and curation of the truth? The debate continues, but one thing is clear, 
we must learn to respect our fellows for their current selves and not hold them back based on their past ones. Moving on to this week's fitness progress, this week I accomplished a weight loss of 1.4 kilograms. Honestly, I am happy with this because I have been putting in the work as they say. I have eaten reasonably and have kept running for about 3 times a week on average, with each run being about 4 kilometers long. I've tried to vary the run location, but it turns out it's hard to find locations that go downhill for that long that are still reasonably close to home, so the same sloped main street will have to do for now. On another important note, as I'm fast approaching a BMI of 30, which would signify me rejoining the overweight category and leaving the obese category, hopefully for good, I have decided to start tracking some other health indicators as well. These are body fat percentage, muscle mass percentage and total body water. I already had a scale capable of measuring these indicators for a long time, but honestly just felt extremely discouraged when I saw the fat percentage, as it was just so, so high. But now that the weight loss is in full swing, I feel I should start tracking these stats as well to understand better what is lost each week. After all, if I noticed after one week I lost, say, 2 kilograms, but the fat percentage stayed mostly the same, it means I lost either lean mass, i.e. muscles, or water. And I don't think I need to explain why just losing water is not productive in the long run. Similarly, if one week it seems like I stalled mass-wise, if I notice the water percentage went up and the fat content went down, most likely I've just been drinking more water or I'm suffering from some water retention, which is surprisingly common when losing weight for a prolonged period. All in all, I do believe tracking these percentages will add a new dimension to my weight loss journey. Since this is a major update in my tracking habits, I've added the link in the description to the public spreadsheet containing my weight measurements for those of you who missed the previous episodes where I brought it up. In any case, thank you for listening to this week's episode. As always, if you want to leave any feedback, you can find the email address in the episode description. There, you will also find the links to the podcast Twitter and Facebook, which you can follow to find out when the newest episode is released, as well as the podcast subreddit, where you can discuss with others your opinions on the subject. Hope you all have a lovely week, and I'll see you next time. Cheers!